0: morning again. hope you guys are doing well. I see a lot of new faces. It's good to see you. It's good that you're you're here with us. My name is Matthew. If we hadn't met, um, we can shake hands after the service. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab one. We're going to be in the gospel of John chapter 3. We're going to keep looking at the story of the gospel. We've kind of looked at how this all started in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. We've where there is now this need for um, a redeemer, a need for someone to come and crush the head of the serpent, as uh, Genesis chapter 3 tells us. And we've looked at what the prophets have said about this coming Messiah in Isaiah chapter 53. He gave an incredible uh, descriptive um, prophecy of what was going to happen and every detail that the prophet Isaiah accounts for did happen. And the funny thing is that he was given this word from the Lord 700 years before it would take place. And now we find where Jesus has finally entered into our world, and we have a little interesting conversation between two people, one being uh, the God-man Jesus Christ. He's talking to a religious leader whose name is Nicodemus. And there's some really fascinating things that are taking place in this conversation. And, and uh, it's not just a memory verse that you learn as a kid. It's not an elementary doctrine that you learn and that you are, you're waiting for someone to give you something far deeper than what is being presented to us in this text. This is one of the greatest theological doctrines that we can adhere to as the church. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what makes this so significant is the things that are taking place in this passage, so we're going to pick it up in verse nine. I'll, if you've never heard this story, don't, don't, don't fret. I'll, I'll catch you up. Jesus is meeting with a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus finds Jesus at nighttime because, obviously, he's a religious leader. He doesn't want nobody seeing him, and he asks Jesus the question, "You know, how can these things be that he's talking about?" Jesus had just told him something about biology that you know was kind of weird he tells him you've got to be born again in order to enter into eternal life and nicodemus is like what how is this going to happen so there's our slight 30 second context of this portion of scripture john chapter 3 verse 9 how can these things be asked nicodemus are you a teacher of israel and don't know these things jesus replied Truly, I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you about earthly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Last verse 21, but anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. One more time, let's pray over the reading of God's holy word. God, thank you, Lord, for this powerful truth that's being revealed to us in your word. Though it may have been my voice that just spoke, it was your word that we just heard with our ears. God, give us ears to hear and a heart to receive. And would you again be mighty to save Expose us for who we are so that we can see the brilliance of your Son, Jesus Christ. And let your spirit just resonate in our lives and and renew our lives and penetrate our hearts that we may be walking by your spirit today, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When we talk about the gospel, what do we mean? When I when I ask a question, what is the gospel? What comes to your mind? Is it a loud preacher preaching and shouting at you in a tent? Is it, is it church? Is it doing good? Is it about your response? Is it about an understanding? Is it the angry preacher? Is it about you just being a very good individual? What is the gospel and what comes to your mind when you hear the gospel Jesus has just presented to us the very familiar and famous verse that we would equate that the gospel is and it is the gospel because it's really good news for us. The the term gospel is from the Greek word euangelion and euangelion is is this political message or this word that means the kingdom is intact. They would use this word in Rome when there was a switching of powers when Rome when a emperor would Die, or he would be killed off by some random joker. Um, the messenger would go out and and proclaim, the kingdom is fine, everything's good here. And this gospel message is what we have here in this text. The king is here. He's come to love, and he's come to bring his love and redeem and ransom all of us, and bring those into the fold of God for those who would believe so our good news is that Jesus is king. Jesus is Kyrios. Jesus is Lord. It's good news because we are no longer the Lord of our life. It's good news because we are no longer lorded over by our sin and our shame and our guilt. That's why it's good news for us. Let me dive into these, these, a few of these verses before we get to the meat of it. Again, Nicodemus is asking him like, well, how can these things be? What things is he talking about? like being reborn. To be born again is this gift of God that he's given us through his Holy Spirit because of his death, burial, and resurrection. And now that he's ascended into the heaven, is to be born again is to believe in that, to believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And Jesus tells Nicodemus very explicitly, if you wanna see the kingdom of God, that is to enter into eternity with him, then you have to be born again. Rightly, Nicodemus thinks that Jesus means something by this. When he goes into this quite explicit illustration by Nicodemus by saying, what, do we have to go back through our mother's womb? that's, That's an appropriate response. Some of us would laugh at Nicodemus for asking that question, But the reality of it is, Jesus, what he just presented to us, is seemingly ridiculous. You have to be born again. What do you mean by this? Jesus, Nicodemus, is pressing him. He's wanting to know. He has an angst in his heart because he has left all of the religious leaders behind just so he could see and have a conversation with Jesus in the night hour. He asked him the question, so are you a teacher of Israel? We know he's intrigued because of this question. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus responds. Now, Nicodemus was this religious leader, blinded by the power, blinded by the spirit of true life. He's pondering, he's questioning Jesus. All of these questions, how can this be? And Jesus flips it back on him, are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? The remaining remainder of these verses in verse thirteen and, and fourteen gets really crazy. Could you imagine Jesus? Could you imagine Jesus um illustrating his life as a snake. Could you imagine Jesus saying something like, I am like a snake? No, that's, what? Dude, you just told me two weeks ago that the evil serpent was talking and he's the one that caused all this mess to, and, and like he's the one that brought the temptation and the snake is bad, preacher. Snakes are bad. Don't we equate snakes as bad? And what do you do when you see a snake? Run, scream, go change your clothes because of something you just did to yourself. You go call somebody else to handle the problem. Snakes are not good, they're bad. But Jesus does something quite extraordinary before, and you've got to get this part before you could get the glorious part about John 3.16. If, if you look in your Bible, there's a cross-reference about this whole, the snake be lifted up kind of story. What's, what's Jesus talking about? Why is, he, why is he seemingly equating himself to be like a snake? This is from the reference of Numbers chapter 21, verse four through nine. You could just write it down or turn there with me. The text says from Numbers 21, four through nine, from the Mount they set out by the way to the Red Sea. Now this is Moses with the children of Israel. They've just let out of, they've been let out of captivity. And so they go around the land of Edom and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt where it was so torturous just to die in a wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. You ever loathed worthless food before? Such angst amongst the complaining children of Israel. Then the Lord sent a fiery serpents among the people. And I love how he says, not just serpents, but fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he'd take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people and look what, look what happens in what the Lord says to Moses. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses who has more faith than anybody I know, made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would just look at the bronze serpent and live. The serpent in this text is not preventative. It is only for the inflicted, only for those who have been poisoned. And the Lord presents only one cure to the people who have been poisoned by these poisonous, fiery snakes. And all the people had to do to bring salvation and bring complete healing to them. They didn't have to work at it. They didn't have to bow down. They didn't have to you know, say some eloquent prayer before they looked at a fiery serpent that's attached to a pole. All the text tells us is that they just had to look at the serpent that was raised on a rod, and they would bring healing to them. You have a condition that was brought about sin. They were poisoned by the snakes because of the enriched sin that they continuously dwelt in. And yet God still provides, despite their complaining, despite them talking about how bad things are now compared to how bad things used to be, Despite all of this, you may see judgment and wrath in this. And yes, you are right and to see that. But I want you to see an out in that also. That in every situation, God is providing a way through grace in this situation. Jesus is referencing this time in Israel's history where they would not shut up, where they would just continuously complain and nag. And so God rightly got tired of it and sent the plague of snakes in them, bit those jokers. Some of them died. The ones who weren't, all they had to do was to look at a snake that was laced up on a pole and they would find their healing. Jesus is saying in this text that we are just reading from John chapter 3, verse 14, that he is the greater snake that will be lifted up. And all you have to do to cure your poison is to look to Jesus. All you have to do from being born into this depravity, from being the sinner that you are, all you've got to do, there's no works, there's no step one, step two, step three. You just look to Jesus. You don't complicate it. You don't recite some long, eloquent, you just look to Jesus. That's all you do. And that's all Jesus is saying. That I too, the son of man, God in flesh will be like the snake in the wilderness lifted up on the cross. And you wanna know how you could be cured of your poison, Nicodemus? You look to Jesus Christ. And why a snake, right? They're evil, they're nasty, they're, they're disgusting. We don't really think in terms like this when we're describing the gospel, when we're describing Jesus. Well, you think about Second Corinthians five, two, for our sake, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Galatians three, thirteen, he said, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us, and by becoming like the snake, he embodied. Our sin and the embodiment of the curse was placed upon Christ on the cross. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, "We need a brand new birth." Lifted up, when He's saying, "Lifted up," and anytime you see this, particularly in John's Gospel, is is a reference to the point in which Jesus would be lifted up, and it's a point of reference to the crucifixion. That's what he's saying when he's talking about being lifted up. And because I look to Jesus, I found that there was no other way that can provide that healing from this poison that I found myself in. Because I look to Jesus, I I have found that I can't do this on my own. And because I look to Jesus, I have found that it's not by my works, that that God can look at me and count me as one of his righteous people. It's because I look to Jesus and I only look to Jesus because what his word says, that he is the way, the truth and the life and that no one goes to the father except through Jesus. I look to Jesus to find my fulfillment. I don't look to good deeds to make me feel good. I look to Jesus Christ I don't look to success and to things like that. I look to Jesus Christ. I look to him. I look to Jesus and only Jesus. I don't look to Muhammad. I don't look to Buddha. I don't look to any of the, the false Jesuses, the anti false Jesuses out there. I look to the son of God, the God in flesh, I look to the Jesus that was our suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53. I look to Jesus who was the one in Genesis chapter three that would crush the head of the serpent. I look to that Jesus. I look to Jesus, the one that in Colossians chapter one says that by him and for him, through him, all things were created. I look to that Jesus. I look to the Jesus that was hung on a cross in my place. I looked to the Jesus who was forsaken because of me. I looked at that Jesus Christ. And so you get this type of um, who you really are versus who Christ is in this text. And before you get into that John 3, 16, now you have this understanding of why this is so powerful that God would send his son, send himself into the world to die for us because we needed a remedy. The universal indictment, according to Ephesians, that we are dead in our sins. We needed a way out. And it would be because of Christ who would call us from the dead. You get this kind of illustration of Jesus really nailing it and telling telling Nicodemus who he is, right? In in verse 15, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For so, so think about that. Four is the article that's just been presented, connecting everything we just heard that um, all of my English teachers should be very proud of me because I use an English reference that I never do. Four article, thank you. This is it. This is you. You're poisoned. You've been infected by sin. Here's the way out. For God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So, this is the good news. This is the gospel. This is that on message that we are taking out. The new kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is here, and he has sent his son. As he had died in my place, the gospel proclamation. And so, it's good news, which, by the way, couldn't we use good news? Man, that should have started a holy uproar right there, but y'all quiet on me. Thank you. I need good news every time I go get gas and go buy groceries and <laughs> this is why I'm reminding you of the gospel so that you could have good news. I love this. So loved. I love this because this is a pursuing type of love that he's illustration illustrating to us, that it wasn't just God, like just sitting up in the cosmos, just chilling out, hanging, It's like, you know what I think I'll do? I'll just, maybe I'll just begrudgingly send someone to, to help all of this, this mess. Now, this was the plan all along. This was why in the garden in, in Genesis 3, that the greatest act of love is displayed through that prophetic utterance that he will send his son to crush the head of the serpent her offspring this is his his plan all along to redeem us to 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 love us and to bring out that love it's not a biased love it's an eternal love that he had it's a faithful a faithful love that he has for those who have been poisoned and needed a cure it's not our idea of love we love success we love we love good news. We, we love things. We love our spouses, our houses, our material possessions. We love our comfort. We love what's convenient for us. But this... Is nothing like the love that we could even grasp or understand. This was, I will become like them and die in their place type of love. That's what so loved the world that he initiated it out, that he pursued us in our poison with a cure. That is why God so loved the world. Now, think about that phrase if you've never thought about this that God so loved who? The world. All right, so I don't know if you're like me. I have a questioning mind, okay? I think about things, probably a little too much that I should. So wait a minute. So I just read, God so loved the world. And so I insert a question immediately, then why do people go to hell? Why why, why do people go? And here's why people go to hell. And why God so loved the world. It's his mercy that he doesn't just obliterate everyone who is hostile to him. So we look at this, we're like, oh, this makes me feel great, right? It's his grace-filled love, but it's also that he so mercifully loved the world, that he so mercifully loved the world that even for those who are hostile to his name, He ain't like just waiting to open up the earth again, right? Have all the snakes come pouring in and bite us all down and kill us all because this is mercy. Will they see the judgment of God? For those who don't believe, yes. You're out of being obliterated, right? Not really obliterated, but being sent to damnation. The out is believe, Look to Jesus. So yes, God loved the world, but caution with that. It's his merciful love also. It's not just his precious, unfailing, never ending, graceful love, but it's also his merciful love that in his mercy, he's still pursuing us. So, so you got this. So God so loved this the world that, he, and now you have these these both ends. This, he sins and he gives. He gives and he sins. Rather, for God did not send His Son through the world to condemn the world, but in order that He, the world might be saved through Him. So, the giving of verse sixteen is God sending out or Him Him initiating out His Son into the world on a mission from heaven. So you have this gift of God coming as one of us and then the sending of his mission to redeem and to ransom. The mission is to die. The mission is to provide the cure for those who are poisoned with sin. And he says, believe. Just just believe. Don't you love that? I like it because it really just kind of takes a weight off of us, right? I mean, i will be straight with y'all. If Matthew's writing this and if I'm the guy upstairs making all the rules, I'd be like, in order for you to get with me, then let me see how I can manipulate all of you and and, and, uh, make you appease me, right? That's what I would do. Let me give you a set and a list of things to do. But what does Jesus do? It just just belief. It's this this weight of ducatism. It's a weight of this works, works-based theology that we don't have to embed our life into. And believe is just, just means this word, just it's just the truth. Like you embrace it as truth. You trust that what you have just said is truth. That's what you believe in. And you trust in what then? Jesus, right? In, in, our, in, in, our, in our Christian church world today, like we've really complicated this message. You know, we've complicated it in such ways that, you know, well, here's step one, walk down the aisle, and step two, do this. Step three, we're gonna present you. Step four, and then by the time you got to step six, you're like, wait, I just thought it said just believe. Just confess, I I trust you, Jesus. And here, and I would say a, a dynamic purpose of the gospel of John is that just believe. Believe in Jesus, believe that he is God. He is who he says He is. These are radical truths, this message of the gospel that can radically change our lives forever. This is the good news. Bad news, you're poisoned, right? (laughs) Happy Sunday. I should have seen some smiles. (laughs) You're poisoned usually? Yes! Because if you can't realize your state outside of Christ then that message of the gospel will not be as brilliantly beautiful as it is as Jesus is describing it. This this message that that Jesus Christ has come to redeem and to ransom and to save you while you were in your sins, while you were still poisoned with sin, Jesus still came and, and he saved you. This message of John 3.16 always brings me back to a story of Charles Haddon Spurgeon's conversion into Christianity. If you haven't heard of who Charles Spurgeon is, then I would highly recommend you go look him up. He's not alive, he's dead, but most of the dead guys are worth looking up, right? (laughs) Written countless amount of books, Thousands of sermons, incredible preacher in England in the mid 1800s, talks about his conversion. It was, he was a young teenager. And he says, this is Charles Spurgeon's words. I I sometimes think I might've been in darkness and in despair now, had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning when I was going to a place of worship, when I could go no further, I turned down a court and found this primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there may have been only just a few people, quite possibly a dozen. The preacher didn't even show up that morning and supposedly probably the snow. A poor man, a shoemaker or something like that, went to the pulpit and preached and he was obliged to stick to the text that the preacher was going to preach and the text was Isaiah 45:22 look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth he did not pronounce the words eloquently probably didn't even pronounce half the words correctly but that did not rem- but that did not matter there was i thought a glimpse of hope for me in the text and he began thus saying My dear friends, this is a very simple text. Indeed, it just says to look. Now, that does not take a deal of effort. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It is just look. Well, a man need not go to college to learn to look, Spurgeon says. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man not need to be worth a thousand a year. Welcome to inflation, right? Anyone can look. A child can look. But this text, what does it say? It just says, look unto me. And he says, I, in a broad Essex, many of you are looking to yourselves. No use looking there. You'll find, you won't find comfort in yourselves. Then the man followed up in his sermon and he says in his text, look, look unto Jesus, sweating great drops of blood in the garden. Look to Jesus hanging there on the cross. Look to Jesus, he is dead and he is buried. But look to Jesus, he rose again. Look to Jesus, he now is ascended into the heaven and sits at the Father's right hand. And he went on at great length, about 10 minutes. And then he looked in the gallery and locked eyes with Charles Spurgeon And he said to him, young man, you look very miserable. (laughs) Now, can we just pause and say, what if I welcomed all of our first time guests and locked dead eyes into them and say, you look absolutely miserable. Welcome. (laughs) But I want to illustrate the power of the Holy Spirit and what God can do in awkward moments. Thank the Lord. You look very miserable. And Charles says, well, I did. But I had not been accustomed to have remarks made on my personal appearance from the pulpit before. However, it was a good blow struck. And he continued, the pastor did or the preacher did. And you will always be miserable in life and you will be miserable in death if you do not obey the text of what I just read if you do not look unto Jesus. Spurgeon says, it is as if if the heavens opened up and a light shone down upon him in that moment. And he had no other option but to look. Spurgeon says, it wasn't even my choice. I was so fascinated and I was so just... I, I couldn't contain it all. I had to look. I, I had no other choice in the matter. I had to look at the brilliance of the sun. If you look to your life for satisfaction, you will be miserable until death. If you look to relationships, you will be miserable unto death. Friends, if you look to anything else other than Jesus Christ. He's employing Nicodemus. Nicodemus, all you have to do is just look to me. Just look to me. Just believe, just trust what I'm telling you is the truth. What do we know about Nicodemus? We don't know much about him, but but we find Nicodemus later in John's gospel in John chapter 20. Where is Nicodemus? He's no longer with the religious establishment, is he? He's there looking to Jesus. Because he got it. The snake became, Jesus became the snake. Jesus became the sin that I was in. And we see Nicodemus looking to the son of God. Your only option in life for fulfillment, for satisfaction, for peace, and for joy is to look to Jesus Christ. This is the gospel message. This isn't, oh, now I know the gospel. I get to graduate from it and, and learn about some deep theological nuances that, that probably have nothing to do with my salvation. No, this is our fundamental, what makes us who we are in Christ. We were poisoned and now we look to him and we've been cured so that the father on that day of judgment will not be a day of judgment for you. He will see you as the righteous one. He will no longer see the poison and, and, and all of the sin that swallowed you up. He sees the son This is the gospel message for those who would believe in him. The gospel is therefore good news because it invaded the poison that we were which swimming in. That's the good news of the gospel. Look to Jesus. Look to King Jesus. Let's pray.